HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. One of the most wonderful things about the food business is that you can be so young, so green, and still succeed if you work really, really hard enough, and if you have just a little bit of luck. Jack Barber is our guest today. Jack and his brother Max Barber started Mainly Burgers 10 years ago as a way for a homesick college freshman to find a summer internship back home in Maine. We're here how the two brothers, entrepreneurs both, turned the summer food truck into a thriving business. They make it sound easy, but surely it was not. Let's have a listen to Jack Barber. Jack, I'm so excited to talk to you. Having been a food entrepreneur, I love to talk to food entrepreneurs. How did you guys get started? Did you grow up in a foodie family? Yes. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and talk more about mainly burgers and our journey to starting this business. So it kind of started as a way for us to be able to come home for the summers. 
Max and I are both born and raised in Portland, Maine, and we have absolutely loved our time. We soon realized that there's not a lot of internships around this beautiful state. So we put our heads together and we realized that there's a huge opportunity for food trucks in Portland. We kind of grew up in a very food-friendly environment. On our dad's side, our grandfather started a company called Barber Foods, which was a frozen poultry manufacturer. So they make like chicken fingers, stuffed chicken entrees, things like that. And then on our mom's side, our family owns a bakery that serves Midwest, predominantly Ohio. So there's always been food in our family. So when we first started out, we kind of knew that if we were ever going to start a business, it was most likely going to be in food. Hmm. That's kind of how the idea started. To say that I expected us to be doing this full time when I started the business as a freshman, I would have called you crazy, but here we are 10 years later now, and we're really enjoying every single day. Holly, Holly, that's amazing. A friend of mine who's a very high-end recruiter told me that what people see their parents doing has such a huge impression on what they believe is possible. Is it fair to say that the fact that you saw that your, your family was in the food business and food was a business was a big motivator? Absolutely. From age four or five, we were going into the Barber Foods facility and watching all these conveyor belts with chicken fingers, stuffed entrees, things like that. We always got to go in and try new products and our whole life really revolved around food. So being able to go to Ohio and see my grandfather running the bakeries there, it was just food's always been something that has meant so much to us and to see how we can impact so many lives through it has been really special. My grandfather, probably the biggest role model for all of us in the family, was a first-generation immigrant from Armenia. And he started Barber Foods from his kitchen, just working with my grandmother to make stuffed entrees and different things like that. And What did he make? What? So he would make, so basically they take like a chicken breast, pound it down, and put you know cheese and ham in it fold it up, and then you'd fry it, like par fry it to get it nice and crisp, and then finish it in the oven. He was a butcher in his previous life. He was at a trade show in Texas and saw people doing that with potatoes, and he thought, I could do that with chicken. Barber Foods became one of the bigger employers in the state with a real focus on immigrants like himself, To, as Barber Foods probably had over 50 different nationalities working at the plant in its heyday, so... It meant a lot to see how much he put in and how much he cared for his team. And that's what has been really ingrained in us to make sure that we're doing the same. That's pretty amazing. So your grandfather came from Armenia and figured out quickly the food business. That's a pretty Sorry. impressive legacy. <laughs> so, his, so he was born in the States, but his dad came during the Armenian uh, genocide and things like that. He had to escape. So it's it's a pretty crazy story of how we got here. Yeah, tell me. I'd love to know. Yeah, I, he just and had to had to get out of there. So he went on a boat uh, to Ellis Island. They asked what he did for a profession. He could not speak English, and just showed that he, you know, he could cut hair. So that's how we got our last name Barber <laughs> at Ellis Island. So it's, it's what's cool. the real last name? Do you know? Yeah, it's uh, Zakovian. Yeah. <laughs> So very different, but that, that is the story. It's a pretty cool one. <laughs> it 
is a cool one. So he landed in Maine. They all landed in Maine and started this incredible business. And you guys grew up watching it. And then you go off to school expecting to do something in business, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, we both went to Babson. So the only option you have at Babson is business. So you better be in the right place. <laughs> Tell me how it began, like that first summer that you needed an internship. Are you the younger brother or you're the older brother? I'm the older brother. I had originally started it with a friend of mine and then Max came on board after that first summer because he was still in high school. So he was not ready for that much responsibility. But the first summer was, it was crazy. We had four people working at this little truck on the beach at Scarborough Beach. And we had no idea what we were doing. So every single day, there was a new challenge that awaited us. Some days were better than others. Our biggest learning experience came in August. We had a, a Mumford & Sons concert. It was the Gentlemen of the Road series. They only did about five in the United States for that year. And we were asked to be a part of serving all of these people, 10,000 people. And Wait, what was we, the event called? Uh, so it was a Mumford & Sons concert, but it was called... The Gentleman of the Road Tour. That sounds yeah. to me like the town is getting inundated with motorcycles and Hells Angels. and. No, that, that no, it was actually more like a lot of bearded, bearded folks and uh, vests. So we were just completely overwhelmed. Most, I think a lot of the vendors were because no one had ever seen that amount of people. And at one point, we actually had a grease fire and had to shut down. That was probably the biggest day of learning and actually having to use a fire extinguisher. I'd never used one before. I vividly remember trying to get it to go on and I had no idea how to do it. And my brother just yells, Max just yells at me, pull the pin, idiot. So I finally <laughs> pulled it and, and I was able to get the fire out. It was a pretty gruesome day, but you know. <laughs> I think we learned so much from it that it's it's now very fun to talk about. Yeah. And what were you serving these gentlemen of the road? Burgers and what else? Oh, yeah. It was just burgers, fries. Yeah. I mean, that was our standard stuff. So just really burgers and fries. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining the scene. You've got all these guys with their beards and their, their T-shirts and God only knows what. And suddenly you're on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and not to mention that there's a 100-person line just waiting to order from us. So you can imagine when we did have to close down, Max had to walk the line, and we actually got a policeman to walk with him just so he'd be safe because you know people were waiting a long time to go up and order at any of these trucks. Yeah. And to hear that we were out of food or we were closing down. So, okay, <laughs> so that was summer one, and summer one yeah. is one food truck. One food truck, and yes. you had a commissary or you did everything on the food truck? Oh, the first summer we were, you know, I, I think the the nicest way to put it was that we were renting from my parents, I would say. <laughs> uh, the, the trailer, every night we'd park it at my parents' house. And unfortunately, that also meant we would receive deliveries to the house. So there would be a couple occasions when the bread got delivered at 4 a.m. They'd be knocking on the front door. And my mom would wake up and go answer it to be like, what, what is going on? What is happening? <laughs> that was definitely a part of everything there at the beginning, because we really didn't have, we didn't really have the space to be able to work everything. So everything was done in the trailer. So it required a lot of extra work just to really get open for the day. 
Then the summer comes to an end and you think, oh, this was great. We did this this summer. What do we do now? So what happened next? While all this was happening, as we first opened the first truck, we were still working with the city to help try to pass laws for food trucks. Because when we first started, Portland was still trying to adopt laws to have food truck regulations. So during that, you know, I think it was November after that first summer, they finally released the regulations and we decided that it made sense to add another truck to the growing fleet. In the next couple of months, we were able to find a truck we really liked and had a builder in Boston do the full build out of it. It was custom made. Everything was in the places that we wanted it to. And it was really meant to do a lot of product through. We had that truck. And then we also decided why not add an ice cream truck too? You know, we're adding one. Let's just add a second one too. Why not? So we had an ice cream truck built out that because we love ice cream sandwiches and we thought it would be a great truck and a great addition to our group. So we also added the ice cream truck. So we went from one truck to three trucks in just one summer. And you were planning this all during the school year, getting everything organized for the next summer? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's part of the game. We were working hard on trying to make sure the plans were right and make sure that everything was up to spec. So it was a lot of fun. We got to go visit the truck and it was really cool to see the growth of it over time and to be able to have that much control over uh, what the build would be. You're an undergraduate at this point. You're building this business. You're bringing your brother into this business. Did you have a life? As a student? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Babson was great in the sense that with only having four-day class weeks, you were able to kind of schedule out your time really well. So Fridays for me were always work on the business day. So I could do a couple things during the week, but I knew Friday would be my big day to get some work done for the business. At the end of the first year, had you made any money? After the first year, yes. After the second year, no. And we'll be back in a minute with Jack Barber. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work 
and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. And we're back. At the end of the first year, had you made any money? After the first year, yes. After the second year, no. Because? So that was <laughs> So after adding, after adding two more trucks, so we had three and probably, what, quadrupling our staff, we dipped a little bit. And I think that had to do with us expecting parking on the street would be the be-all, end-all, and we'd have so many people coming up to the truck. And that ended up not being the case. The regulations really pushed trucks to the outsides of the city. It made it a really difficult time to be profitable if you were just going to park on some random street or random parking lot. That was really tough because after the first summer, we were saying, this is great. This is going to be perfect. And then struggled that second year. So then you kept going, obviously, because you're still doing it. So your second year... Food trucks are kind of in their infancy in different towns. They they haven't quite figured it out. People haven't quite figured it out. You you rev up for the third year, and then what happens? So during the third year, we decided that it would be more strategic and profitable for us if we stopped parking on the street and just hoping to have a busy day and focus more on events and private catering. So we really went hard on trying to find any event we could be a part of, whether it was a running race or a random you know, movie night in some town, because we knew that that was going to capture people and we could be successful in those types of areas. So we really worked hard on that. And all the while, we're reaching out to individuals and businesses to let them know that we could offer private catering for, you know, any type of event, grad party, birthday party, or corporate lunch, and even weddings. So once we made that switch, it really helped us because we were able to focus really on making sure that we were putting our best foot forward when we were doing these private events, try to become more professional than any other food truck would. Were you still uh, and, just serving hamburgers and french fries? or Yeah, still still serving hamburgers and french fries, but making sure that our clients received estimates and they knew exactly when we were going to arrive and when we would depart, making sure that we were reliable and the client would always know that they wouldn't have to worry with us. So that worked out really well. What builds is that grassroots referrals where someone has had a really great experience, we get referred to someone else, and it's now the snowball effect. Knock on wood, it continues to this day. So did you ever along the way think, huh, I'm made for more than this? Did you ever doubt that the food truck was your future? Oh, definitely. I did not expect to do this out of college. I, I was applying for jobs in the finance industry, so I was pretty much ready to, to do that. But I started meeting with a couple advisors and friends 
and they kept coming up with, why would you give away this business? If you had any inclination that you wanted to keep it running, you should do it now because you're young, you don't have a wife, you don't have kids. This is the best time in your life to do it. So Max and I talked about it more and we decided that it was worth giving a go around as a full-time business. We decided to become a full-time business. That's when we added the restaurants and that's where I saw the legitimacy of it was that we could run the restaurants and the food trucks would be a secondary part of the business. Now I'd say that's completely changed. The food trucks have become probably our primary business because of everything that's kind of transpired with COVID and there's just the overall increase of interest with weddings and things like that. So you could sort of pivot to doing open air things. Exactly. Since I would say during COVID, we were always really busy, but it kind of became overwhelming as we kind of progressed during COVID that first summer because there was nothing really anyone could do. Mm-hmm. And you need to be outside. And our food trucks really offered that ambiance and the fun that a lot of people had been looking to catch up on since we were uh, in lockdown for several months. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you've, you've built a business from scratch. You're going into year 10. Yes, 10. That's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Crazy. It, I, I, it shocks me every day when I say that that we've been doing this 10 years now. And you're only open in the summer or you're open all year round now because you have the restaurant? In Boston, we we now like, we employ, I think, 15. And during the summer up here, because it is high school and college students, not everyone's working. Most people are working part-time. So we probably have 25 to 30 up here during the summer. And that will probably increase this year because we have a new truck on the way. So... Very excited about that. And the trucks, are they all over Maine? So we're based in Portland, but we really travel all over the state. I'd say the farthest we've ever gone is two and a half hours away. That's not an easy drive, so we don't like to do that a lot. But, I mean, we go probably, on average, an hour, hour and a half to all of our big weddings. So are weddings the the mainstay for this? Yeah, right now, right now I think last year we did... 35 weddings total. And I'd say probably this year we'll probably hit 50, if not more than that. Seems like a lot of people are now loving Maine to get married. (laughs) And I totally understand it's a great place to get married because there's so many amazing areas around the state, especially during the summer. I'm actually going to be getting married here next year. So I'm very excited about that. (laughs) Are you going to, are you going to cater your own wedding from your food truck? You know, that's a great question. It depends. I think I would like the separation of church and state, but I think we got to we got to keep get it to be a part of it somehow. <laughs> How do you think about it as a business now? If you were starting de novo, would you tell somebody to go into the food truck business or go into the restaurant business? That is a great question. It depends on location, what kind of food you'd like to do and what you see yourself doing. So when I think about it, when we first opened our restaurants, I didn't realize how much of a 24-7 type of business a restaurant is. You have to know that whatever your hours are, expect to be there three hours early and three hours after. That's something that I struggled with, whereas with our truck business, it's very quick. We go in and serve for two hours and then we're gone. Hmm. We got to see a lot of different areas of the state and different venues and meet different people, which... I really enjoy. 
But that being said, what what I've noticed now is that your average ticket on a food truck now is just as high as I would say a fast casual restaurant. So you're now able to get the prices that make the food truck worth it. So if you're able to start a food truck for a fraction of what a restaurant would cost, I would definitely recommend starting with a food truck because you can definitely do a friends and family round of investing to start the truck and not not be really hurt by it. A restaurant costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, let alone the amount of permitting and other items that need to go into it. That's for sure. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you're lucky and it's a good space. From my perspective, you're just still a kid, but you've been a very successful entrepreneur sticking to this. What? Where do you go from here? What happens? Yeah, that is something that Max and I are always trying to figure out. We definitely value our time and value our business. I think for both Max and I, we, we, we love working with each other, so we don't want that to end. So I would imagine that we're going to continue to run our businesses and, and try to keep growing them. Who knows? Maybe we'll dive into other food industries. We're definitely not going to be without the food industry. What makes it possible for you two to work together well? I mean, not all brothers could. We're only two years apart. We can see eye to eye on a lot of things. You know, we grew up together, went to Babson together. We skied on the same ski team together. So there's always been the competitive edge to us. I think that is really beneficial because we're both rowing the same boat. Probably the biggest thing is that we have different qualities. Max is much more of an extrovert than I am and is great with marketing, where I'm more good with operations and really like finance and things like that. It's not oil and water mixing together. So we're really copacetic. What makes the mainly burgers so good? What's your secret sauce here? <laughs> so, you know, the secret sauce is a myriad of things. Not only is it really the quality of the ingredients we use, where it's grass-fed beef, all of our bread is delivered daily. We make a awesome house sauce. We cannot divulge any ingredients on that. Sorry about that. But then it's really also our team that makes it such a unique business and something that makes the business what it is. So just as important as the food is, the, the people that are a part of our team kind of make the, make the dream work. If I were to ask you for your two-minute pep talk to somebody thinking of starting their own food business, what do you say? Oh, boy. I would say that be prepared for a lot of long days and some days where you question why you are doing it. But in the long run, if you continue to work at it and you truly have an idea that you think is worth spreading, then to keep pushing on through the challenging times because it eventually will pay off. One last question. Worst day ever in the business? Well, I would say that the Mumford & Sons concert where the grease fire happened might have been our worst day. Yeah, I mean, there was one day where I, uh, I was trying to back the trailer into place and I completely missed and hit a tree and destroyed the, the back of the truck pretty bad. That one was really bad.
because we, <laughs> we had to, we, we eventually had to close for that day. And it was super embarrassing for me because I was so confident as a young freshman in college. Like, I, I know how to drive a trailer. And I clearly had no idea what I was doing. It was almost jackknifing the thing. Bad sight. <laughs> I could just imagine that you were crushed. <laughs> oh, yeah. My morale, my morale was gone after that. <laughs> Best day so far. Best day. There's been, there's been too many to count. It was some days you finish at two in the morning and it just, that was a fun day. You know, it started really early, but what we got to do was so cool. And the people we got to meet were really special. I don't think I could ever say one day was the best out of any. There's so many that I could probably count. I need a lot of hands to count <laughs> how many best days I've had. Well, okay. Thanks so much. I think this is great. Thank you, Jack. I am suddenly very hungry. Do I smell french fries? Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Food is produced by The Food Voice. I'm producing, along with audio director and composer Mike Moss, of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at our website, letstalkaboutfood.com, and on Heritage Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 